royal robes, what we wear. I want to continue to talk about clothes this morning. Last uh, week, uh, well, we're continuing our, our series in uh, the book of Colossians, aren't we? And last week, Dan helpfully uh, kind of opened a passage to us which talked about taking some things off, taking some things off that are no longer fitting and appropriate. There are certain things, that he, it's, it's an analogy that Paul is making. As you become a Christian, as you're changed on the inside, as your position has changed, as where you are, in a sense, has changed, so the things that we clothe ourselves with also need to change. And um, it can be a bit jarring if we continue to wear the old clothes, no longer appropriate for who we are. And um, this might have been appropriate a little while ago, but it's something jarring now wearing this. It's not, it's not quite appropriate, it's not fitting for uh, the context and uh, what's going on. So Paul is saying we need to take these things off. Take them off, he says. He's talking not about, of course, physical clothes. He's talking about um, greed. He's talking about lust. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about the way we used to live, where we put other things in God's place. The, these were the, the ways that we manifested ourselves in the world. We interacted with the world. We presented ourselves to the world. He says you take these things off. In fact, I think he says put them to death. I mean, you always think of a, a bonfire of those things. That, that is not fitting anymore. And this morning, we're going to be then looking about, oh, things to put on now. We've, uh, I've got the, um, Dan kind of had the, the, the hard job in some way. I've got the easier job of what do we put on, the good things that we put on, what is appropriate, what is kind of fitting for, for who we are and the situation that way we are in. So I wonder if you'll turn with me to Colossians, and where are we now? I think we're, shall we, chapter 3? Um, you know, I do know. Um, <laughs> yes, we're chapter 3, verse, verse 12. And just as I put this on, I wonder, wonder what, what, did you think about what you wore this morning as you uh, were getting, getting ready? Were you thinking about what is going to be fitting, what's going to be appropriate, were you kind of working out, you know, what, what is the weather going to be like? Where am I going to be? Who am I going to be with? What, you know, looking through your wardrobe, what's going to work? Um, maybe you're thinking, how do I want to express myself? Do I want to kind of stand out? Do I want to kind of fade in? What, are, what do I think about what I'm going to wear? Do I wear the same as yesterday? Do I, is it time for a change? Perhaps some of these things were going through your mind. How do I present myself and express myself to the world. What, in a sense, is going to be my book cover today? The thing that people are going to see immediately as they interact with me. What's that going to look like? As one psychologist said in the New York Times article uh, entitled, We Are What We Wear, they said, clothes send out an endless variety of messages about who we are, what we feel, and which group we belong to. Now, it may not look like I give much thought to what I wear, and in fact, I don't really give much thought to what I wear. I give it, but I do give a little bit of thought. I mean, you, you, you can't not think about it. It's, in, it's important, and I, you know, I, I do spend a few minutes, seconds, kind of choosing the, the least worn pair of jeans and the, the, the newest, most uncrinkled shirt. And uh, I even bought some... Uh, 
about last year, some new smart shoes. So if even I think about these things, I bet you think about these things, some perhaps more than others. And of course, Paul isn't talking about physically what we wear. In fact, the Bible kind of warns, doesn't it, about an overemphasis and, a, and too much of a focus about what we wear, this physical kind of clothing. I mean, it's, it's, it is important in some ways, but um, really Paul is saying here there's something far more important to think about. Don't agonize about what, what we wear physically. There's something else to think about and choose and be intentional about in terms of what we wear, and it's the clothing of our character. It's the apparel of our actions and our attitudes. And he's saying it's a bit like clothing. We just need to think about it and be careful that we're wearing the appropriate character and attitudes and actions. The things we see others see and and experience when they interact with us. What are people going to experience when they see us, when they encounter us for the first time? Yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll arise and go, okay, what what are they wearing? And we're kind of wired to think like that but actually on a deeper level as they interact with us what's the character they're going to experience how are my actions going to express something about who I am so today we're going to be looking at appropriate clothing for the Christian to wear not actual clothing but this this character and apparel so let's read uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3 verse 12 to 14 just a three 12, 13, 14, three verses. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And I don't know if you were here yesterday at Fate. I had a bit of a moment as uh, Steph uh, began to speak about this passage. And uh, my first thought was, oh. (laughs) But then my second thought was, oh, this, this is important. The Lord really wants to underline something here. For those of you who were there last time, I'm not going to kind of repeat everything that he said. There's, a, there's um, other things that I feel God wants to speak to us about. But, but underlying here is God is saying this is important. This is really, really important that we make sure that we're clothed appropriately in our character and our attitudes and our actions. So this morning we're going to look at who we are. That's where it starts. We're going to look at what to wear. And we're going to then look at how to get dressed. So it's really kind of basic stuff in some ways, but very, very important. So who are we? Well, in this passage, uh, Paul speaks about that. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're chosen. We've already heard that this morning. You're chosen. If you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it turns out not just that you chose him, but that he chose you. Chosen, selected by God. It speaks of God's initiative in salvation, in deciding to save you, in deciding to bless you, in deciding to make you holy. That's another thing that we are, that Paul says you're chosen and you're holy. There's only really one fundamental rift in reality. When you boil it down, when you get right down to it, there's one rift, and it's the holy and it's the unholy. It's in line with who God is and his nature and for him, or it's 
out of kilter with who God is. It's in disharmony with who God is. It's apart from God. It's separated from God. It's lining up with who God is, or it's um, out of line with who God is. This is the one rift, the one separation. It's the most important one, with God or apart from God. And because of the things that we have done, you and I, the attitudes of our heart, the actions of our hands, we put ourselves out of the holy. In fact, we've been, we've been cast out, in a sense, from the holy because God is perfectly good. It's, we, it's, it's my, he's mind-bogglingly good. He's unfathomably good. He's holy. This, this very difficult to find analogies for something like holy because it's so fundamental. He's holy, 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 totally other than, totally perfect. He lives in unapproachable light. And because of the things we've done, we're not perfect. We've done things that are wrong. We, we're, we're in the sphere of the unholy, out of kilter with who God is and his perfect goodness. But here we read, staggeringly, amazingly, that God has changed our position from, from, from being unholy to being holy. Somehow we've been brought across, across this great divide, this rift. And here we are, and we've, we find this incredible news, as, as Paul writes. Not only are you chosen, well, I, I, I'm chosen, he, he, he chose me, yes, but I'm now holy. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're now holy. This is where you exist now, in line with who God is, at peace with God. How has that happened? Why has that happened? Well, it's through the death of Jesus. So Jesus took on himself our, what the Bible calls sin. All those things that we've done and thought, in fact, are our nature, in a sense, of, of being out of kilter with God. And he took it on himself, and he was punished in our place on the cross. And at, at that moment, at that time, our sin was dealt with completely, such that God could take us from the unholy and make us holy. He could declare us to be holy because he's dealt with our sin. He's dealt with our wrongdoing. He's, he's sorted that problem. I don't know. In fact, when, before I was a Christian, a friend of mine talked to me about this. He drew a little diagram. I remember it in my lab and as I, I was at the university. He just drew a very simple diagram. And he said, there's, it's almost that there's, there's the unholy here. And what, what separates us from God is our sin, the things that we do wrong. And I remember this little valley that he, he drew. And he said, God's over here. And you say, you're over here and God's over here. And we're made for a relationship with God. And yet, and yet, how do you cross that? And I'm sure some of you have seen this picture. He then drew the cross in the middle, kind of spanning that gulf. And he said, it's now possible to come into relationship with God. It's now, this, this, what seemed impossible to happen has now happened because Jesus on the cross has dealt with your sin. And now if you trust in Jesus, his death counts for you. His life of obedience can be credited to you. And I looked at this picture and it didn't make masses of sense at the time. But then a few weeks later, suddenly I began to know my sin before God. Suddenly I began to experience the reality of being over here, unholy. I didn't give it a second thought before that. But suddenly I, I, but God's word began to shine into my, my heart and I began to experience this inexperience and unholiness. I began to experience the, the fallenness of my nature, my sin. And I began to think, I don't want to be here. And then I remembered this diagram, this cross. 
And a few weeks later, I put my trust in Jesus. And at that moment, I was transferred. I became holy. I thought I was choosing him, but Paul says, no, he chose you. He chose you, and he made you holy. Why did he do that, though, still I ask? Why? Why? There's so many mysteries around here, but there's some things that we can know. Don't, let, don't be baffled and walk away from it. Press in and look at it. What, what has God revealed to us? We mustn't, he doesn't reveal everything to us, but some things he does. What has he revealed to us? What is the basis of his choosing? Why did he choose us? Why did he choose me? And the best answer I can find in the Bible is that he loved us. It's love. Hasn't Paul, doesn't he say that in this passage? He says, you're chosen, you're holy, and you're dearly loved. This is who you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your identity. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. That's why he brought us from this unholiness into holiness, set aside for his purposes, set aside for a relationship with him. We go in the Old Testament, we kind of uh, hear Moses say, he says to God's people then, for you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. The Lord, your God, has chosen you to be a people of his treasured possession. We've heard that this morning, haven't we? Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, holy, chosen, treasured possession. It was not, he goes on, because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. And he's keeping at the oath he swore to your fathers. Why does the Lord love you? Why does the Lord love you? It's because he just does. He just does. It's just his nature. And we look and we look and we can't, we can't really see any further than that. He just loves you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you must know this. You need to know this. You are holy. You're chosen. And he just loves you. And you ask why? Why? He just loves you. Is it because of something you've done? Is it because you're worthy? Is it because you're better than other people? No. He just loves you. That's it. That's all. Chosen, holy, dearly loved. I know there's this mystery here. I don't pretend to kind of understand all of it, but I want to know what is plain but put before me and put before my sight. I want to know these things. I want to know who I am. And you want to know who you are if you're a follower of Jesus. The simplest illustration of God's loving Sovereign initiative in salvation was once explained to me. I think Toby and I were up in Oxford once with um, uh, doing some uh, uh, a course up there. And they, they just, it was a kind of, uh, it's a, a simple analogy, but I, I'm not sure I can better it even, even now. When, when before you're a, you're a Christian, there's a door before you. And it says on the door, really, anyone's welcome. Enter in if you want. Come, please. Anyone who wills, come. That's on, on this door. That's the gospel invitation. It's to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is on the door. And it's, and it's true. Come. If you want to come, come. If you, if you want to come over this divide from the unholy to the holy, well, the, just the door is there. Well, of course, it's Jesus. Just come. That, anyone who is thirsty, he makes this open invitation, doesn't he, Jesus? Anyone who's thirsty, are you thirsty? Come. But as we go through this door, this was the, the illustration, it's, it's simple, but I like it, it does capture something. As we go through this door, as we put our trust in Jesus, we turn round and we see chosen before the foundation of the earth. What? I thought I just chose God. I thought it was me. I thought it was my initiative. No, chosen before the foundation of the earth. It's mysterious, 
I don't understand it, but it enlarges my view of God and my understanding of his grace and his mercy to me. Well, even that choice that I, did, I thought I was putting two and two together and finally making four, no, God enabled me to do that. He called me, and his calling of me was effective in my life, and it brought me out of darkness. I, w- I, wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have even wanted to transfer over there if it was down, just down to me. But he chose me, and he called me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's true of you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, there's a big door in front of you. He says, if you want, you come in. Anybody, come in. Come into the God who loves you, who made you for relationship with him. It's free. Isn't that what he says? Jesus says, in, well, isn't it Revelation? It's free. Come and buy without money. Come and eat. Come and drink. It's free. It's paid for on the cross. Come. We're holy. We're chosen. We're dearly loved. But that then asks the question, what then do we wear? Because there were certain things that were fitting when we were in this kind of sphere of the unholy, the other side of this rift. Now we've been transferred. What is fitting now? What should we wear now? How should we, what clothes should we wear? And of course, Paul goes on to talk about that. We're chosen, holy, and loved. And he says, therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. So material clothes aim to express something of who we are. They're pretty fallible in doing that, aren't we? We, we kind of trick people all the time in terms of what we, perhaps what we wear. But the idea is they do express something about who we are in, in the language of the culture that we're in. And that's, that's fine. They, uh, they can do that. But by contrast, our attitudes and actions are much more reliable You spend some time with with someone, you get to see their character. That's a much stronger indicator of who they really are, what's on the inside. Character kind of shows that. In difficult circumstances particularly, in challenging circumstances, character kind of comes out. Because we're chosen, holy, and loved, we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. These are the fitting apparel, the appropriate uniform, the suitable dress code, the heavenly fashion, if you like, for the follower of Jesus. These are the things that we are to clothe ourselves with because of who God is and who we are in him, sons and daughters of God. We, we have a, a, we're in a new family. There's a new way of clothing ourselves. There's a new way that it's appropriate to act. But it's important we do get this the right way around, and I labor it a little bit. Because again, we, we can try and wear things that, would, that we think might change us on the inside. But I, I was just thinking about, um, wait, I'm going to say Prince Charles, but King Charles now. And I was thinking about what he wears. And I was reading in uh, Tatler magazine um, that he wears apparently exceptionally tailored suits from Anderson and Shepherd, sleek shirts from Turnbull and Asser. I think James Bond also wears them, uh, wears those shirts too. And uh, he also wears traditional kilts in Balmoral tartan and the perfect rural chic outwear from Barber. And I began to think, how, how, what if I were to start wearing these things? How, um, if I were to begin to wear exceptionally tailored suits from Anderson and Shepherd? I like the sound of that. If I, what if I started to wear those? those shirts, would that make me royalty? Perhaps I would need to go a bit further and wear a sleek shirt from Turnbull and Asser. Would that ascend me to the throne? I'm not sure that would be quite enough. What about kilts and barbers and things like that? Would I, how many of those would I need to wear to rule England? 
Or what if I were to take a crown, his crown, the crown, and put it on my head? Would I become king of England? No. No amount of clothes and outward apparel will change who I am because that's not the way it works. Which is why it's important that we know who we are and we dress accordingly and we don't try and do it from the outside in. We don't try and act a certain way in order to be a certain person. It doesn't work. That's why Paul labors it at the beginning. You're chosen, you're holy, you're dearly loved. Therefore, in the security and knowledge of that, here's how you clothe yourself. Do you understand how that works? I'm sure you do. I'm laboring the point, but it's an important point. It works from the inside out. And as we're changed, our identity is we become children of God. So we, we take off the old. We put it off. It's no longer appropriate. It's no longer who we are. It doesn't communicate effectively the truth. And we begin to put on these other things, gentleness, compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. And the thing is about getting dressed in the morning, which you will know as much as I do, is that it's not automatic unless you are a cheese-eating inventor from Wallace and Gromit. And he, when he got up, it was kind of automatic, wasn't it? Do you, do you remember that? He'd wake up in the morning and his bed would go bang like that and he'd drop through a kind of trap door in his bedroom and he'd kind of land in his trousers and uh, I think there would be some toast or something would fly towards him. It was automatic for him. He woke up and he got dressed and that was it. It doesn't work like that. In fact, it went badly wrong, didn't it? Now I think about it, he ended up in the wrong trousers. If you get up in the morning and you don't think about it, you just kind of sleepwalk and uh, think you're going to get automatically dressed, you can end up in the wrong trousers. It can go wrong. It was, it was these electric trousers, wasn't it? And controlled by an evil penguin. So that's a warning to us <laughs> to think about what we wear, to be intentional about it. Otherwise, we, uh, to be serious, we will end up under the influence, or an evil influence, if we don't think about it. We will gravitate perhaps towards the, the old way of, of expressing ourselves in the world. And Paul is writing this because we need to think about it. We need to be intentional. Take off the old, put on the new. Don't get caught out wearing the wrong trousers. And finally, I want to just talk about how we get dressed, get a little bit more uh, practical. How exactly are we to put these things on? It's a conscious decision about who we are. And so in a sense, we've already talked about it, that we, we are to know who we are. In fact, but there's more here. Not only do we bring to mind as we kind of, in a sense, wake up in the morning, to remember, I'm chosen, I'm holy. I don't live there anymore. I live here. I'm dearly loved. The Lord loves me, right? How, what is appropriate to express that today? We think like that, but there's a little bit more here. In verse 13, which we'll just kind of touch on for our last few minutes here, says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. We're to consider how the Lord has treated us. We don't just kind of look at God from afar, but we have actually first-hand experience of how he has treated us, of how he has interacted with us. And he's forgiven us. And so in light of his forgiveness of us, that we have first-hand experience of, this, this is how we are to forgive others. So we bring to mind God's dealings with us the Lord's dealings with us. This is, the, this is the direct means by which we clothe ourselves properly. How has he treated me? How has he been kind to me? How has he been generous to me? How has he humbled himself in the person of Jesus, even to death on a cross? How has his compassion come to me? 
I've experienced it and known it. We need to remember these things, to think about these things. If we miss this, how God has, has treated us, this means of getting dressed, appropriately attired in the morning, forgive as the Lord forgave you, we, we just, it won't happen for us. We'll find it difficult to clothe ourselves properly. We'll struggle with it. We need to understand that we go to, to Jesus and how God has dealt with us in Jesus. is kind of like a tailor, like a stylist, like an influencer, like a fashion guru. He's who we come to. The world is full of uh, people trying to take that place. Oh, be like me, act like me, behave like this. No, we don't go to any of that anymore. We go to Jesus. And we see the perfect example of how we should clothe ourselves and our hearts are one to it. You know, and just with the right music and the right, um, I don't know, uh, lighting and everything else, our hearts can be drawn to a particular image. How much more, as we hear about Jesus, do our hearts get drawn to him? Do we see something glorious about him? And he begins to influence us such that we want to be like him, that we want to do what he does, that our attitudes even are changed to be his attitudes, appropriately as sons and daughters of God. He is our... He's our fashion guru, if you want to put it like that. Paul says he puts it a different way, of course. He says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Here is our model. Here is the mirror. Here is the means by which we appropriately clothe ourselves. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So I'll just touch on a couple of aspects of that. They're not, it's not the same in every way, of course, but these things motivate us. They model for us and they empower us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. Steph touched on it yesterday, so I won't, I'll only spend a couple of minutes on it. But I began to think, first of all, so how did God forgive me? How did that work out? And first of all, it seemed to me that he didn't deny that I'd done anything wrong. Sometimes we can short-circuit forgiveness and say, oh no, that's, that's fine, no, nothing was really done wrong. We can minimize sin in our own lives, but sometimes we can uh, mistakenly, um, out of false motive, under, uh, not understanding how forgiveness works, so it's, Try to, try to kind of make it in our heads that what was done against us was not wrong. We can minimize somebody else's sin. And that's a mistake because you, you can't forgive unless you've identified that there was actually sin done against you. And sometimes worse still, the enemy would have us kind of own someone else's sin and feel bad. No, no, they did something wrong to you. That, that's where the sin is. I mean, we mustn't deny it. We mustn't minimize it. In order for there to be true, healthy, right forgiveness, and just call a spade a spade, call a sin a sin. That was wrong. That was wrong. And it seems to me the Lord didn't, didn't minimize my sin. In fact, he, he, he shows it to us. He, he lets us experience the, the full, well, uh, mercifully, perhaps not the full, but that it's wrong, that we have done wrong. Otherwise, we, there'd be no reconciliation, there'd be no forgiveness. We need to understand that we've done something wrong in order to be reconciled with God, to be forgiven by him. So even as we're in our relationships with one another, we don't want to paper over too quickly the sin done against us. In fact, through punishing Jesus on the cross, God wasn't saying to us when he forgave us, your sin doesn't matter saying actually mattered more than you could ever know. It required to be dealt with. It required my son to come and own it himself and die in your place for it. It's more serious than we know. We mustn't minimize sin when it comes to forgiveness. Secondly, he took the initiative to forgive. He planned it. We said before the foundation of the world, he planned to forgive. He paid the price to forgive on the cross. He points out our need to be forgiven. This is a gracious act of God. He, he, said, he said to me here through my conscience, through the law, through friends, that I had done things that were wrong. He pointed it out. 
That's a good thing. Sin needs to be identified in order for there to be forgiveness. That he proclaims his willingness to forgive. He goes on public record, I will forgive you. That's the gospel. Put your trust in Jesus, you'll be forgiven. I'll do that. I will do that. You really will be forgiven by God if you trust in Jesus. That's the gospel. He plans it, pays for it, points it out, proclaims it. And so in a certain sense, this is how we're to position ourselves when it comes to forgiveness. We're to prepare our hearts to forgive, remembering how Jesus, uh, what Jesus has done for us and how we've been forgiven. We're to express our pain to the Lord, knowing he, he knows what it is to be sinned against. He understands. We're to trust him for justice because he's paid for it or he will punish it. He's either punished on Jesus or it will be dealt with at Jesus' return. There will be justice. We trust him with these things. These are all foundations to orientate us, to be ready to forgive. But of course, again, where Steph reminded us yesterday that we're appropriate, we need to reach out to the person who has hurt us. Steph reminded us yesterday of the missional importance of Jesus' words. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The closer our relationships, the better at this that we need to be. You don't need to do it so much at a distance, but the closer you want to walk together, the better we need to get with just kind of helping one another. That, that, that hurt when you did that, when you said that. Um, we need to communicate with each other because there can't be forgiveness otherwise. And again, Steph reminded us, you know, you might think you're, you've got a better way, but five, ten years down the line, there can be a lot of damage done if we don't see proper reconciliation. But of course, just a pastoral note here in passing, because we have an enemy who would like to take Scripture, and he misuses Scripture, and he twists it, and he would do you harm through even the very words of God. So I just want to give you just a couple of pastoral kind of heads up in some ways. If you have good reason to fear harsh reprisals for carefully and gently highlighting uh, someone's sin, the sin they've done against you, then... I think basically there are bigger issues here than what's just happened. In fact, you are far further along the process than going privately to speak to that person. So to see these things in context, similarly, if someone has sinned against you in a, in a way that is illegal, that the law that God has put in place in this country to bless you and to keep you safe, then you need to take full advantage of that. And again, there'll be other people that will need to be involved. So I'm sure you know that and you, kind of, uh, you understand these things and, and can handle God's word well like that. We mustn't be trapped in it. But there's, we must also hear what it does say. That we mustn't kind of go and grumble to someone about somebody else. No, if we want to build good, strong relationships, let's dare to say, hey, that, I felt that when you, when you said that, when you did that. I, I'm sure you didn't mean it like that, but it came across like this. I just, it would really help me to talk about it. Just, I want us to walk you know, closely and well together. There are times when we need to do that. It's important to forgive one another. Because, well, it's important to highlight where we've been sinned against in order that we might, that might pave the way for forgiveness. Finally, he acts out his forgiveness to me and to you. It's not just words. He doesn't just highlight the things we've done wrong and then say, I forgive you. He acts it out. And the fullness of forgiveness, the perfection of forgiveness is in the way we then move to bless someone, move to do someone good. It's not always kind of possible to do it in the ways that we would want. And we need to have an appropriateness in it and we need to involve others in it. But really, it, it, our heart is changed from, I want justice and I want this person to be punished. And we leave that to the Lord. 
I want to, forgiveness has come. They've asked for forgiveness. We've, we've given forgiveness. Now it's, I, I just want to see them blessed. I want to see their, their good maximized. What can I do to help with that? Maybe it's just praying. Maybe there are other steps that you can take appropriately to restore relationships at times. But the Lord gave himself to me and he gives himself to you. Forgiveness is, is to enable us to walk closely together in relationship to know his love day by day, that there's nothing now that stands in between me and the Lord's love for me. If you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, if you've repented of your sin, if you said, I'm sorry for the things I've done, I turn away from that to faith in Jesus. There's nothing in between you and God's love for you. You can walk closely with him day by day by day. This is how God acts on his forgiveness, and that will never, ever end. So if I'd like to invite the band back now, we are... We're going to break bread now in just a moment. And it struck me, what a wonderful way to, to remember the Lord's love for us. In fact, doesn't Paul say right at the end of, uh, of our passage, he says, upon all these things, on all these things, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. If you want to have a takeaway message, it's very simple. It's just love one another. Just love one another as the Lord has loved you. So we're to love one another. And as we break bread in just a moment, it's a, it's a helpful kind of physical reminder of the way that the Lord has loved us, the way he's been kind to us, the way he's been compassionate towards us, the way that he's humbled himself to death on a cross for us. And this is a helpful preparation for us to remember who we are. I'm now a son or a daughter of God. If you're a Christian, in just a moment, we're gonna, the band are going to play for us, and we're going to just Go up to some of these tables. I think, are there some uh, around the room? Yeah, there's some around the room at different places. And as you go up to these tables, just remember what the Lord has done for you. And remember that he's chosen you. And remember that he's made you, made you holy. And how has he made you holy? Through his blood shed on the cross. The only thing that could make you holy, that could transfer you from the unholy to the holy, is his blood. And as you drink it, it's a, it's a help for us to remember these things. You remember his body broken for you on the cross. That's why we take the bread. We remember his body was broken. That we, that this, that, that interestingly enough, that this rift could be, uh, could be crossed. His body was broken. The temple, the temple curtain kind of tore in two. This separation between God and us, the holy and the unholy. Come in, all who wills. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross that that has happened. So as you take the bread and wine, if you're a follower of Jesus, remember these things. Bring them to mind. It's, and then it's how we then begin to clothe ourselves, knowing who we are, knowing how the Lord has loved us and how he has treated us. We can then begin to act in these ways to those around us. Why don't we stand together? Father, we do thank you for just these few words on a page that we've just spent a bit of time on this morning, thinking about, meditating about. This is reality. So many things we get bombarded with which are just simply not true. False ideas and things that we should be or things that we aren't. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us about who we are, who you've made us to be, chosen, holy, and dearly loved. And I pray by your spirit you would seal these things in us, that we wouldn't be people trying to be something we're not, trying to be royalty when we're not, 
Thank you for these royal robes that you clothe us in. You're a Christian. That's how you're attired in Christ. His righteousness credited to you. The rags of sin dealt with, taken off, burnt, buried with Christ in his death. Father, we thank you for who we are. And I pray, I know know you have been speaking to some this morning about crossing over that divide from the unholy to the holy, apart from God to with God. I thank you that in Jesus, the words over the door, come all who will. Come if you're thirsty. Come. Free. It's free. Don't need to spend money. Well, I thank you that what our efforts and works couldn't do, they just disqualified us. Jesus' perfect life obedience and his death in our place has done it all. Pray as we come and break bread and take the wine right now. Maybe some even just for the very first time. Maybe you put your trust in Jesus right now. Maybe even now you're saying, do you know what, Lord Jesus, I recognize my sin. I turn from it. I don't want to live like that. I recognize I'm in the wrong place. I want to be with you. Maybe right now you're, you're, you're crossing that divide. It seems so simple. It's, it's, he's called you. He's making you holy. It's because he loves you and he cares about you. Your life will change forever. Your eternity changes forever as you put your trust in Jesus and begin walking with him. Lord, remind us of these things. We pray do such a work among us this morning that we go and we live differently in the light of it. We put on different clothes, right clothes, appropriate clothes for who we now are. We pray all this will be for your glory in Jesus. Amen. So the band are going to play, going to just gently worship as we approach these different tables around the room. Take bread, take wine. Remember how the Lord has loved you and done you good. Let's break bread together, shall we?